It's Dr. Stu's podcast. I'm Dr. Stuart Fishbein with my protege, Kimberly Durden. And we are back for podcast number 112. Kimberly, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for allowing me to come and <laughs> hang out with you. This is so fabulous in the yeah, penthouse. We just, it is hard to get our schedules uh, together where we can actually find time to do these sorts of things. I know. I between think the it, two of us. I think it helps that I'm just doing homework now and I'm not going to births for a little bit. Well, so. as our listeners know, we record these things. Uh, sometimes by the time they play, it's been a week or two or even longer. Yep. Uh, but to this afternoon, I'm heading up to Santa Barbara for the ICANN, uh, Santa Barbara ICANN meeting. There's going to be a whole gathering of of people there, some really great uh, people, including Jen Camel from VBAC Facts. Yes. And my friend Terry Cole, who's a practitioner in Ventura, and uh, a doctor from Santa Barbara is going to be there. Um, a doctor from Santa Barbara who is? An obstetrician from that Santa Barbara. is a VBAC friendly type of person? Well, I don't know. I mean, I, I'd like to, I, I don't know the story, but there's no VBAC friendly hospital up in Santa Barbara. So I'm really curious to talk to her. And then they're going to have three moms from Santa Barbara who attempted VBACs. Uh, and they have their stories. One of them, of course, is mine. And she had a VBAC. She came down to the Ventura Birth Center to have her VBAC down there because she didn't want to be laboring in a hostile environment. Right. I've done many VBACs up in Santa Barbara. Mm -hmm. I've assisted on many of them. Uh, so that's going to be going on. There's been a lot of stuff going on, including in the media just this past week. Um, you know, I don't normally promote myself. Uh, it's not my thing to do. Uh, but some people have taken it upon themselves to promote me a little bit, including Mara and Jonathan. Um, Jonathan's an actor, and uh, people who've been following me on Facebook or whatever, they've seen these posts now. She uh, wrote a blog about her home birth from last December. Mara Lane is her name. And then also... Did she have a vaginal birth or breach? Because I haven't No, she it. had a vaginal head I down, mean, head, normal Normal birth, head down. First time mama mm -hmm. at home. Okay, uh, Just before Christmas. Mm -hmm. It was really, it was really sweet. It was a beautiful birth. She did great, and Jonathan helped to... Uh, to catch his, baby. catch his baby, which you know is a real big yeah. thing for for that for them as a couple, and I think within a week or two after that, I think they flew to Brazil to be blessed by uh, well, like who's the, the guy in Brazil? John, John, yeah, John, 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 the, John, John the guy, John the healer guy, <laughs> John oh, the healer wow. guy, yeah, that's amazing. So that's pretty cool. Although I wasn't really like, thrilled you, about they them got flying. on a plane. Yeah, well, we had to rush their passport. It was a we, it was a big deal getting the passport. Okay, but you know what? When Mara puts her head to it. She gets it done. Well, she wanted to. She wanted to do it too. Mara, the mom did because I'd be more like thinking about what I want to be on a plane two weeks. Yeah. Ago, oh, the mom was. was she was yeah, that big, was all, big yeah. behind it, and she got down. She was like two days postpartum. She's down at the at the county courthouse trying to get her her birth certificate. So hmm. she she was on it. Yeah, she did, was. She didn't follow instructions very well. Well, but she did uh, great. yeah. Don't everybody try that at home, please. But that's the flexibility of the midwifery model: is we yeah. give them information and then we let them do what they want right. to do. Yes. The second one was uh, written by uh, my my client Jeanette uh, Ogden, who who some people may know because she runs the blog Shut the Kale Up. What the? I've never heard of that. <laughs> I'm gonna have to start yeah. saying that to my kids now. Like, shut the kale up. Well, because she 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 just recipes and things that have to do with kale and, and other healthy eating. Oh. Yeah, it's a it's a pretty popular blog. She has 35 40,000 uh, followers on her, her blog. Out. Shut the kale up. Shut I recommend everybody shutthekaleup.com, I guess is where <laughs> you will you'll find her. And she wrote a really thing. She had a breech birth and but she had a breech birth actually in 2015 and for some reason <laughs> she published her birth story um, a year and a half later. What do you which, mean for some reason? 
Well, why it took a year and a half to because run. she's a mother <laughs> and she's running. She's, she's busy, writing a she's blog. Busy, she's, she's making kale, kale things, kale, kale items. Stuff. Yes, please. Right, but it's a beautiful story, and it talks about uh, her impressions of her birth, and uh, we're going to try to post that on the Birthing Instincts blog page as well. Okay, cool. So speaking of that, you can find me at w- uh, birthinginstincts.com. Uh, you can write me at askdrstu at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. If you have comments, uh, you can uh, also find us on iTunes and uh, share us with your friends because we want to keep doing these podcasts. So they were writing like things about how they were empowered by their birth and they thought it was great and all that kind of stuff. Is that? Yeah, I wouldn't be talking about it if they were writing bad stuff. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> we, don't, we don't do that on Dr. Steve's but Well, yes, we do. We actually talk about some of the, yeah. the not-so-good things that happen. Yeah. Anyway, here's a... Um, I'm also going to be speaking in Boston in October. I think it's the 7th. I'm going to be doing a day with Dr. Stu, and we're going oh, to do yeah. lectures on breach and twins and VBAC, and we're going to do home birthing, and we're going to do my statistics. I'm going to do a talk on ethics, and I'm going to do a talk on informed consent all in one day, so I'm going to be a busy day. Yeah. And we applied for CMEs, which I think I might have mentioned on a previous podcast because the University of Minnesota was going to maybe offer us CMEs. And we got rejected. Really? Uh, yeah. And one of the reasons we got rejected, which I happen, I'm going to read to you right now, because it says here, our office has reviewed your application materials. Based on this review, we are unable to offer CME for this activity. Uh, one of our concerns is the document entitled Needs Assessment Data and Sources provides a unilateral view of high-risk topics such as VBAC, breach, and multifetal gestation. The scientific evidence cited in this summary does not demonstrate a well-rounded discussion of these topics. Hmm. So in other words, they're not going to give me CMEs because I'm going to talk, which by the way, in my talks, I talk about both all statistics, but right. in a summary, I'm talking about what I'm emphasizing. Right. As you know, uh, we, I was just at ACOG and we're mm-hmm. going to talk a little bit more about some of the ACOG lectures in, in part uh, the second half of this podcast, but all the lectures there are one-sided. They may be you know, maybe one-sided on... Estrogen for for heart disease or right. or um, you know anti home birth not right. not anti home birth I mean uh, anti V back or pro V back or or whatever they're all one sided so right. again this is like a it's like a I maybe a little sour grapes here but it's like a little club yeah that that if you're in the club you can give one sided lectures mm-hmm. and you'll get CMEs for that right. because you have a big institution behind you but right. if you're not in the club. You're yeah, because th- they're considering it like it's not continuing medical education. Well, you know who decides for, whether for our providers because we're we don't teach that and we might not agree or be in right. Line and the with people that decide whether I'm going to get CMEs are probably professors at the University of Minnesota. Right, they're academicians. So, so they, basically, they don't you know they don't want their folks learning, getting credit for learning something that they're not necessarily in alignment with. That would be with. my take. Yeah. But what do I know? Well, you know, you can always just dispute me. that. Can't you dispute that and go go deeper? I, I that sounds like something you would do. Be like, well, why? And then, you know. Yeah, well, they're also saying that the American Congress of OBGYN has published opinions. I quote, I'm going to stress the word opinions on these topics, particularly home birth and breach delivery, that are not in line with the information presented in the CME application. <laughs> well, of course they're not. That's, right. why I'm, that's why I'm talking. Right. Why so, would they want to hear me if I was saying the, exactly what the ACOG is saying? Well, again, which, which, which reinforces what I was saying in podcast 111, which is. You know, it's very hard for, for like, how are medical s- students going to learn about the wide variety of uh, wide not. ways of getting they're to not. birth because they're not getting an opportunity to learn that because they're, they've bought into a, a system that is going to teach them one way 
and it's our way or the highway. And so, again, we... we oh, I got, I got very uh, much affirmation of just listening to the way people talked about things like breach at the conference, that breach delivery in, in the academic world is dead. That's what they were saying? No. Oh. You could just you tell by the t- tone yeah. of the way they discussed it or the way they were groans or the way they... Yeah. The, the, the guy couldn't get the word breach out of his mouth. So it's a brainwashing. What I'm hearing is that there's a it's, ton of brainwashing going on. It's been the you know, brainwashing is complete. It's it's a matter of being narrow-minded and not and 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 presenting only one side of an issue. And I just don't see it coming back uh, through the mainstream. It'll have to come back right uh, through the underground, like th- some other way. It'll have to come up. back. So we'll continue to to you know put out uh, information, and I am going to work on a paper. I was very inspired. Uh, one of my mentors, uh, one of the guys that inspired me in breach delivery, Martin Gamowski, I ran into him at the ACOG meeting and, and told him that I'm working on a paper because I've now uh, had 50 uh, breach home deliveries and I'm going to uh, write a paper this summer on that. And he said that he would be honored to read it and oh, critique wonderful. it for me. And so, and he's got connections to sort of more mainstream journals than I, you know, I, I don't even bother trying to apply for the Green Journal or the Gray Journal anymore, which are the two most um, prominent American journals for uh, OBGYN anymore because I know that they won't it's accept gonna, me. Yeah. So international journals, but he's got one called, I think the Journal, uh, uh, oh, I forgot, Journal of Prenatal, I can't remember, I don't want to give the wrong name. Anyway, that he's got connections to. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm going to get his opinion on my paper. I'm really excited about the fact that I've got somebody who is eager to do that because he wrote the definitive paper in 1980 for me on the parameters that make for safe breach vaginal ah, birth. Yeah, so that would be important. And he's been a, he's been working in a hospital in New Jersey now for quite some time. Mm-hmm. And he looked as healthy and jovial as ever. It was good to see him. So does he do breach birth? Breach I'm delivery? not sure if he's still practicing or if he's just doing right. academics anymore. Right. I didn't really get into... Right. I know, I know you want to talk about the ACOG stuff um, some more, and but I'm also curious, like, what do they think about someone like the wonderful physician, Doctor Boots? I always say his Taylor. name wrong. Boots Taylor in Atlanta because you know, he does I, that breach deliveries. And he, no, but he does him in the hospital. So, but nobody, but people aren't doing him in the hospital. So he's still there. Are still, there are still a few people doing him in the hospital, and ACOG's guidelines on breach delivery suggest that. In skilled hands, the decision belongs to the woman. Okay. So they do say that. They just think that that, that breach, at home. breach birth or twin birth or VBAC birth out of the hospital right. is an absolutely contraindicated is absolute contraindication to home birthing. And 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 you know, I would say that they say that because they don't like home birthing and they don't do those other things anyway. But ultimately, women are going to be stuck with in areas of the country where there's no choice. Right. And I would say that also that there's no data to support or, or refute right. what they're saying. Right. Because there isn't any data on home breach birthing, and there isn't any data on home twin birthing, not in the last 20 years or not. I mean, there's data from the, you know, the 30s and the 40s and the 50s maybe, right. but that data doesn't compare to what's going on now. Exactly. So what we need is more data and not just a narrow-mindedness. Absolutely. Um, and, and you think about when you, you talk about ACOG and folks attending ACOG uh, Talking about midwifery, for instance, in in California, and talking about all the lay midwives that are coming in, transporting to the hospital or whatever they were saying, it just shows again. Like, there's just such there's a, a huge misconception, gap, a huge gap in knowledge. You know, why don't we get to that one first? Yeah, we'll come back to the, um, we'll come back to the cesarean epidemic. I wanted to talk. There's two more lectures I want to talk about. One is called cesarean epidemic, and the other one was called uh, uh, home birth transport. Uh, how hospitals should, you know, uh, how that should work. 
And uh, Dr. Lehman is a very, very nice guy uh, from New Mexico. Some of my listeners may know of him. And I think his first name is Lawrence, but I'm not sure. His last name is Lehman, L-E-E-M-A-N. You can look him up. And uh, he is very supportive of the collaborative model of working. And he talked about how countries that have really good uh, uh, home birth practices have what's called an integrated system. Right. Where there's, there's cooperation and collaboration between the home birth midwives right. and the hospital midwives and the doctors. And even some of the home birth midwives can actually have privileges at the right. hospital and continue their care. Right. Um, and so countries like um, uh, England. England and the Netherlands were the two right. that he mentioned. And I'm going to talk a little bit about them. But he basically um, quoted, he started off by quoting the, uh, the essentially the, the organization in England that is equivalent to our uh, National Institute of Health. It's called NICE. Okay. N-I-C-E, and I don't remember what it stands for, mm-hmm. but it, it's a weird acro- acronym to <laughs> for a health organization. But anyway, um, they looked at, they said in 2014 that there was actually no significant safety risk for a multip and most nulliparous women to have a birth at home. Okay. So, they this made is, a statement. so NICE, this, NICE said this. This is like the mm-hmm. National Institute of Health in the United States coming mm-hmm. out and saying something like this, mm-hmm. which of course they never would do. No. But they said that. And so, when he said, when you look at home birth studies, mm-hmm. you have to look at several things. And you know, I've stated this before. You have to look at the, the material and methods section. You have to look at the numbers. You have to look at how the data was collected. Right. Retrospective, prospective. Was it, was it birth certificate records? You have right. to look at that stuff. He says, I, I, it's always affirming for me to go to these meetings and see, even if we come out to different conclusions sometimes, right. that at least we're talking in the same language when it comes to interpreting data. Right. And so he agrees. Remember with that, that another guy said that no one no one study should be considered science. Right. Well, he says here that when evaluating home births, you have to look at things like was the home birth intended? Right. Was it planned? Okay. Was it attended? Exactly. Okay. Exactly. What's the source of the data? And one of the things we always talk mm. about is almost all of Chervenak and Grunbaum's data comes from a single study looking at a very large number, over a million, I think, birth certificates. Um, or maybe it was a lot more than a million, I think. Birth certificate, maybe it's like 13 million. So they were getting the outcome from the birth certificates, which doesn't, which doesn't, doesn't tell the data. who's attending, who was it intended. In other words, did the mom plan to have a home birth or did the baby just come out on the way to the hospital? Did, did the mom have any prenatal care? None of those things were included uh, in that study, just based on... On did the baby live well, just, or die? Just, just noting where, that where were they born? Just noting that in in then Oregon, which is a very you know has a, a home birth rate of over two percent, which is, doesn't sound like much, but it's fairly mm-hmm. high. They only they only added to their birth certificate record in 2012 the planned place of birth. Hmm. So how does somebody looks back from records from the from the 2005 to 2011 or right. whatever say that this home birth? Look how bad these home births were when they don't know whether right. it was planned or unplanned. Right. Um, and they also have to look at, again, getting back to the things you should look at, was it an integrated system or not? That's a why, big one. why is it that the, the, the outcomes are better in countries with an integrated system? And we don't have that here. And part of the interesting thing about that is he looked at uh, two, two main studies he looked at. One was a home birth study in the British Medical Journal of 2011. And they, they looked at, um, they found that there was no difference in uh, morbidity for, multi, uh, for multips okay. in home or hospital. But they had a 45% transfer rate from home. 
Now, that's a really high transfer rate. Yes, it is. All right. The transfer rate in most midwifery practices that I know of here Especially in Southern Especially for Cal, mul- multips is, is it, very well, it's, low. It's very low, but they're saying overall the transfer rate was 45%. Here in, the, here in California, I think it's somewhere between 15 and 20, 25%. Not more than that. You're talking about overall for primips and multips? Or just, yes. Yeah, for, yeah. yeah, that's mm-hmm. what I'm saying. And these the, numbers, and these and numbers the are the biggest numbers are coming from the primips. All, almost all for primips, yeah. right. Yeah. All right. But, it's, but it really is interesting that the rate was so high. And in the study out of Oregon, no, not out of Oregon, out of Canada, that's another study that we often quote, the transport rate was also 45%. But these are integrated systems, and right. probably the transport rate is higher because it's, it's easier. It's easier. It's like, okay, we're not going to, you know. We're not going to be, you're not going to be treated like a pariah. Right. You're not, we're not, right. the hospital isn't the enemy. Right. Uh, we're not going to get, you're not, they're not going to kick me, your midwife, out of your birth, they're right. gonna they're gonna welcome us. They're right. gonna talk to us as if we're colleagues. Right. They're going to ask us for information. We're gonna give report, right. and they're gonna actually listen to what yes. we're saying. Yes, absolutely. All right? And that sort of thing happens. So there's very little reluctance for a midwife in that scenario sure. to want to to not transfer a patient or to keep a patient longer sure. than they than they would otherwise. And also, the client doesn't have the stigma of of in the worry in the back of their mind like oh well if I transport how are they going to treat me when I get there so they know like like you said the hospital is a safe is a part of our care it's a safe place to, to go and there's probably a discussion or maybe more than one discussion or maybe even some concurrent care with a hospital-based practitioner uh, but during the during the prenatal care there's a discussion about here's the hospital we sure. go to why sure. don't we go over there? Let's go over there. Let's talk with them. Why don't you go Absolutely. have a tour? You know, you it's do, not us here, or them. Here it's like, I don't really want to go to the hospitals. I don't want them to know right. what I'm doing. Right. And I can't tell my OB that I'm right. even thinking about having right. a home birth. And, right. And so, and so just the whole hostility factor plays comes into play. I mean, can you just, can you hold your thought? I had an yes, interesting I situation with, a, um, with a, someone that came to one of my classes um, recently, and she uh, was having a birth center birth and uh, had some issues as she, fine textbook labor, no problems, got to pushing, had, baby had some D-cells, baby was probably in a weird, funky position, maybe a little asynclitic or something was happening. And the midwife said, you know what? The D-cells are, I'm going to give you a couple pushes, but we're going to go. They had arranged to have a certain physician to be available to them if they transported, but that physician happened to be away. So they went into a hospital that was unfriendly with a practitioner that was unfriendly. The midwife thought was, they're probably going to give you an opportunity to still have a vaginal birth, but let's just go and we'll deal with it there. Well, as soon as she got there, she was prepped for a C-section, given a C-section. In the C-section, after the C-section was over, she hemorrhaged severely, et cetera. So it had incredible complications from her cesarean um, and absolutely was not given the opportunity to just continue to, to maybe get a little bit more time, maybe get an epidural. Baby was stable. Mom was stable when they got to the hospital. The midwife had actually pushed the baby back in so that the mom, they could transport with the stable baby and a stable mom. And she was not given the opportunity to continue to try to have a vaginal birth simply because the physician was was, um, not happy that they had come in. Explain pushing the baby back in again. Kind of pushing the baby up so that it wasn't sitting in her pelvis. Which part was presenting? The, the head. The head. Okay, yeah. so it was a head, for, head first yeah, baby. Yes, a head first baby. And she was crowning. She was crowning. She was, the baby was beginning to crown, but there was some severe D-cells, which the midwife wanted to get her. Um, Got that. A little bit more Got care. that. And there was, no, uh, there was no talk of vacuum, forceps, nothing. No. Right. Probably no skill. Oh, not one. No, none of that. No, right. she went to the hospital and they 
immediately prepped her for a C-section. Now, I would tell you that without knowing the specifics of this case, but I would tell you that that doctors in general feel that if I put a vacuum or forceps on that baby and it has a problem, they're going to blame me. Hmm. If I do a C-section on that baby that has a problem, I did everything I could possibly do. Mm-hmm. All right? Now, that's a problem. Mm-hmm. That gets back to the discussion we had last time about the possibility of having risk pools for for transports or, or I mean... Something to make the we need to do a collaborative system, and that's what the rest exactly. of this. That's what we went on with this lecture. Let's go on. Yes, but the, those kind of stories are they're tra- yes. they're tragic, and uh, you know and they're, they're, tra- they're, and they're traumatized. Look, coming there, to there have are many people that birth. got up to the microphone to ask questions afterwards who'd been a doctor who had accepted a transport that was a train wreck. Mm-hmm. All right, mm-hmm. so doctors have their own anecdotal stories sure. of of train wrecks as well, and sometimes. There are midwives, and sometimes they are lay midwives. They're not licensed midwives, and they are letting people push for 14 hours mm-hmm. or do things that are way mm-hmm. out, out of the norm. Right. And then they do bring somebody in, and then right. the hospital ends up, and that gives all of us a bad name. So, if we again, if we had a better collaborative system where Absolutely. we ta- teach each other as... Tra- if we treated each other as brothers and sisters rather mm-hmm. than enemies, that would be a better deal. I agree. So, he then, he then pointed out an organ study where the... Um, uh, they found that there was a higher perinatal death rate. Uh, the risk was still one in seven hundred and fifty. All right. So, so who had a higher higher perinatal death home birth, rate? Home birth people for um, this study in coming from the UK. No, this is from Oregon. Oh, okay, I see. This one came out last year. I remember this study, mm-hmm. and I think the, the 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 risk of perinatal death was like seven or eight eight times higher. Uh, again, there's there's not a lot of controls on the study, right? We don't know who did the, the all study? the things we talked about before. You know, the um, was it intended, attended, the source of the data, and right. integrate. I mean, it was obviously not an integrated system. Okay, but we got to remember that uh, perinatal death is not the only endpoint to consider. Mm-hmm. And the fact is that the cesarean section rate in people that were born in the hospital was five times higher hmm. than people that were born at home in, in like-minded cohorts. Mm-hmm. So, if we're talking about stage one thinking, yes. Home birth sucks, and you should have a cesarean section. <laughs> but if we're talking about stage two thinking, weeks. <laughs> or stage three thinking, or stage two thinking, is like, what about these women after they've had that first cesarean, and then, right. you know, what's going to happen to the second baby? And then right. we, we just talked to, right. about, about accretas rising, and right. we talked about uterine ruptures causing more problems. Right. And so we know for a fact that the risk to the baby in a second pregnancy, after someone's had a first c-section can be higher than the risk if she would have had you know than if she would have had a home birth for both right (coughs) but but so but then again and to add to that um in your talk before and and podcast 111 about uh um cesarean rate the doctor i guess it's the guy from uh yale was saying that the c-section rate was high and it wasn't the repeat c-section it wasn't the it wasn't the um it, what do they call requested c-section it was no it was the, it was the pri- it was the prime it was the primary c-section rate that's highest am i correct is that what he's saying well primary c-section rate is always highest right uh, and so what so you know there is a push also to uh, to help physicians understand how to avoid you know they talk Creating about it, a primary. They C-section. talk about it all the time, but then they don't really they don't really enforce policies that are going to get us there. Right. And there was a talk about how we could how we could do all that about manual rotation of the OP baby, about doing breech deliveries. About there was another lecture which I didn't I, I didn't get into, 
But again, like he said, it's the facilities. And so, again, if the facilities aren't changing, right. then very little change is going to happen in the primary. And I want to clarify something. I said something like the rate of, uh, of um, primary C-sections is higher. I don't mean that. I meant the rate of repeat C-section is 93% in the United States. Be- okay. Because of the primary C-section. The, 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 the cause of the high C-section rate is mostly primary C-sections, exactly. put it that way. Exactly. Um, okay. So then... Uh, he he was a member of the 2014 Home Birth Summit, which, by the way, I have potentially been invited to. You had been invited. Uh, no, well, I'm going to be invited to the next one. I think because okay. I, you were I ran to into the Swathi. Last one. I ran into Swathi. You know Swathi? Yes. Yeah. How do you pronounce your last name? Don't put me on the spot All right, like okay. that. <laughs> All right. So anyway, but I she was at this lecture and we 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 said hello yeah, afterwards and, good. and she. I've been talking to her about you for probably. And she actually corrected the speaker because the speaker said, one of the questions that was asked was, how do you counsel a woman who comes to you, tells you that she wants to have a home birth? Mm-hmm. And, and he said, um, well, you should tell her about the increased risk of uh, cord prolapse, incre- you know, the, all these things. And, you know, these scare tactics. Right. Do you tell this was scare- Dr. Lehman who said that. And then Swathi got up to the microphone Good. and she said, you know, we really shouldn't be talking to people like that because that's really not a very significant risk and blah, wow. you know, that sort of thing. So that's why we need to, yes. this whole thing. Anyway, he then posted the uh, statement that came from the 2014 Home Birth Summit, which if only would be adopted. Uh, it just seems like we're going in the opposite direction when we mm-hmm. talk constantly about all the restrictions that are going on in hospitals mm-hmm. and the hostility toward home birthing that seems to be coming mm-hmm. uh, from ACOG's legislative branch in, in, in different states in, in the United States. Uh, The statement goes like this, quote, we believe that collaboration within an integrated maternity care system is essential for optimal mother-baby outcomes. All women and families planning to a home or birth center birth have a right to respectful, safe, and seamless consultation, referral, transport, and transfer of care when necessary. When ongoing interprofessional dialogue and cooperation occur, everyone benefits. Absolutely. And this is from the home birth, that's from the home birth summit? Yeah, which carries absolutely no weight, unfortunately. Well, you know, you're absolutely right. And, and as a matter of fact, when we speak about uh, Swathi, um, I met her some years ago at a, a conference and I said, do you know Dr. Stu and blah, 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 blah. And so they invited us to come two years ago. You. Uh-huh. Oh, I, I, I was? Well, I'm, I, you were invited. I, it must have been a last minute deal or something like they that. They got a lot on their plate. So they're not only thinking yeah. about Stu, but they got a, yeah. it, it was important, I thought, that, that you, would, you would be Well, who do you know this. that thinks about Stu first? Stu. No. <laughs> you think so? That's pretty nice. That's not very nice. Oh, Stu. Okay. I'm, who? I'm trying to think. Who thinks about me um, first? We, Stu. I don't know. I don't know. Um, do you have a dog? No. <laughs> no. But but the, uh, the you know I thought the whole idea of the home birth summit was so amazing <laughs> because coming up with um, a, a statement about you know a lot of their work was around getting professionals together, doctors, midwives, et cetera, to come up with uh, a protocols for home birth. Well, they transport. do it in England. Right. And so they, they, I mean, they certainly could do sense. it here. So why, why the hostility is just, it's the, it's the rhetorical question. I'm not even Well, the thing there. is that when, when, when our uh, OB organizations say that you shouldn't home birth or home birth is dangerous, but they do not make room for collaboration. They do not make room for um, making transport smooth. They, they do not, um, they, you know, doc- doctors can be uh, so hostile to families coming in from home birth, then actually they're complicit in making home birth more more dangerous, if that is 
a thing. I mean, we, we have to have collaboration. We That's what everybody wants. And so we're not, you know, we know as folks that do home birth know that sometimes we might need to go to the hospital. Um, we might need to, cons we love to consult and collaborate with um, uh, our medical professionals. And, and it's just, it just seems it's, that it should be a right for birthing in this country. I'm still stuck on the dog is the only person that... Oh, Stu, come on. It's okay. You need a tissue. You can wipe your tears. <laughs> come here, Bella. Get you a tissue. Bella, come here. I need, I, I need, I need, I need Bella. I need Bella, the Stu, mascot. Stu, I, right. I care about you, Stu. Oh, but you're not you. my first thing that no, I think I know about that. in the morning. I, I, Trust me. That's okay. That, that, those are decisions that I made in life. That's just the way it works. Okay. The last thing we're going to do before we run out of time is a, was another lecture on cesarean epidemic. And I promised to my listeners this is the last thing i'm going to talk about acog next 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 podcast we'll get back to some more uh, of the interesting up-to-date news type things but, but this is interesting because we can't go to acog yeah but i'm throwing out we're throwing out a lot of numbers at people and i and i know that the, you get glassy-eyed uh what i do you know sometimes i tuned out i you know I, i'll even write in my notes that here he got here the guy got into the weeds or here the <laughs> here, he, here he put slides up that no one can possibly read <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, or there's too many doing that. By the way, when you give a presentation, that's one thing you cannot do is you cannot put slides up that are so busy that are meaningless. Yeah. Why? Why do you bother putting putting those overthinking? Up there? No, they're not even overthinking. They're just they're just like they're overthinking when they're, they're like creating. they're like the, the numbers you can't read. And they're so small and there's yeah. so many columns. Yeah. And they give you like four seconds to look at it before they move on to the next slide. Like sometimes <laughs> I was getting my camera out to take a picture of a slide. By the time I got my camera out, which doesn't take very long with an iPhone, you know, yeah. uh, they were already on to the next slide. So. All right. Cesarean epidemic. Um, the pearls of this, this lecture were that he showed that uh, many, many graphs showing that there was no improvement in neonatal or maternal morbidity beyond a 20% cesarean section rate. Okay. So, say that again. In other words, that neonatal, neonatal mortality and morbidity right. improved with with use of cesarean section up to about a 20% rate. Oh, I see. Beyond a 20% rate, there was no benefit. So then when we got with so, we, so that gets back words, to the that gets back to the idea that we have an excessive, you know, maybe 50% right. of C-sections are unnecessary right. as Neil Shaw had said. Got it. All right. So in other words, you're saying that if there are risks to babies and mothers with C-section and that if um that that are that are inherent but at the same time... Um, well, we're saying a 0% C-section rate is not a good thing either. That's what right. I'm saying. It's kind of like uh, a Laffer curve of, you know, what the Laffer curve was economics is, mm -hmm. is like at what tax rate do you maximize tax returns? Because if you, if you tax somebody at 0%, mm -hmm. you get zero tax revenues. Right. If you tax someone at 100%, you get zero tax revenues because no mm -hmm. one works. Got it. Okay? So somewhere along that curve is that where you maximize tax rate to get the most to the government gets the most out of it. Maybe that's 30%, maybe it's 60%. You could argue, and that's part of the politics of arguing about where the tax rate should be. I mean, if you tax rich people at 80%, you know, they're basically going to stop producing. I got it. And so, and so it's the same thing here. So the, the whole point was that 20% seemed to be a cutoff where we shouldn't, you know, the World Health Organization says 10 to 15%. Mm -hmm. But even if we said 20%, right. All right, we're, that would be cutting over a third of our C-sections out. Right. Um, when you do a C-section on somebody, okay, we talked about the increased risk in subsequent pregnancies. That's often not discussed. That's what's called stage two thinking. We're often stuck in stage one thinking. Right. I need to get this baby out. I'm going to do, the baby's breach. I'm going to section it because I want that baby out. All right. right. All right. But what, do we, what kind of things do we cause the woman to then deal with in the subsequent pregnancy? Well, we know from a fact, I've said it several times on this 
podcast, we know that gives her a 93% chance of having a C-section in her next pregnancy. That's right. All right? We know that there are, with people that have previous cesarean section, there's unexplained increased small rate, small number of fetal demises. Mm. We don't really know why. There's the risk of ruptured uterus. Mm -hmm. By the way, the relative risk of a ruptured uterus in a woman with a C-section versus a, with a woman without a C-section is 100. All right? Which means she's 100 times greater chance of rupturing her uterus. So by doing a C-section on somebody, you've increased a relative risk of 100. Name something else that we do to somebody that right. increases their risk by 100-fold right. in the next right. time. That's crazy. Smoking causes an eight-fold risk of dying from cancer. Hmm. Here we're, we're doing a surgery on someone and we're causing them a hundredfold risk of having a, a, a ruptured uterus over if we would have gotten them out vaginally the first time. Hmm. Then there's, there's the risk of malplacentation or you know, the uh, placenta accreta, that yes. sort of thing. Yes. And there's a risk of hysterectomy from yeah. the, the subsequent bleeding yes. or the retained placenta. And then there's a higher rate of maternal mortality. Right. Okay. Maternal, uh, mor maternal mortality uh, with... Women with a repeat cesarean section is 13 per 100,000. Oh, wow. With a trial of labor, with, with the VBAC, it's four per 100,000 hmm. successful. Wow. So it, it, it so rises. So it's, it's actually flipping the risk that are used for to, maternal mortality. For maternal mortality. Okay. Correct. Neonatal mortality does go up right with a trial of labor. Okay. Because you're. Due to the. Because of the risk, risk of, rupture. of rupture. Correct. Right. All right. All right. So why is the rate rising? And then again, he goes through the demographics, the preferences, the medical legal things. And he basically says that none of those things really, really happen. That um, the uh, rate rose in every age group, every race group, every group by BMI, which is uh, body, mass body mass index. Thank you. Uh, so sometimes the reimbursement is such that you know, like uh, in Chile, private doctors make five times as much as public doctors. They have an eighty percent cesarean section rate. Mm -hmm. There, uh, he also noted that states with tort reform have a lower C-section rate and a higher VBAC rate than states that don't have tort reform. And that would be because because people are less afraid of getting sued. Got it. Which brings me to this graph that you or this this pie chart which I showed you earlier. Mm -hmm. uh, I can't show it on radio, but I'll <laughs> I'll summarize it for you guys. It's it's this is a these are reasons given why uh, providers, I hate that word, uh, providers that do not offer VBAC and these are the reasons given. 6% said because their hospital anesthesia is not in the house. Now I would like to just state on that that there's no requirement anywhere, even from ACOG, that anesthesia be in the house. ACOG said that help needs to be immediately available, whichever one took to mean in, as the house. in the house. So that means that the anesthesiologist has to be on call 24 hours in the hospital? In the hospital. That's what in the house and means. And a lot of times they're not getting paid, which makes them not want to be there. But also, I would just, I just would like to add to that, there's never been a study ever that's shown that having in-house anesthesia has better outcomes. It's an mm. empiric consensus opinion. Got it. All right. Um, uh, 11% said their practice doesn't allow it. Now, I'm not sure what that means, unless they've joined a group practice and the practice has decided they're not going to do it. Hmm. Again, that's sort of vague because it doesn't say why the practice is it, but that's right. the reason that they give is, and it's sort of a cop-out as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I agree. Okay. 1% uh, said there's a restrictive VBAC policy. Don't know what that means. It seems like that would that's, be that's higher. That's kind of the same. Yeah. Um, 9%, uh, oh, because, and 9% say they choose not to stay in the house. All right. In other words, they, if they don't, if they have to be, have a VBAC in their hospital, then the hospital m mandates that they have to be there. 
I see. And, and that may be 12 hours of sitting around, you know, playing Parcheesi uh, <laughs> or doing whatever you do in a hospital where you can't be with your family or you can't be working. Doctors aren't going to do that. They're just not going to do that because they're not getting reimbursed anymore. Right. As a matter of fact, we'll talk, we'll get to that in a second. Right. Uh, 42% said a concern over litigation. <laughs> 42. 42% said that. Mm. I don't know if that's false flag. I mean, I think that's 42% said that. I don't know that, that the fear of li- that litigation is that big a deal. Obviously, if it happens, it's a huge deal. All right. But I'm not sure if it's more of a of a false. Yeah, it's like the fear tactics God. were already put there, so you're like, "Hey, I don't want to get sued." Right. So that's why because I'm not we all do talk it. about lawsuits. Right. All right. Eleven percent said they don't offer VBAC because of personal experience, and that may mean that they've had a bad outcome uh, once, and they just don't want to ever see that again. Five percent said um, that VBAC is not safe, and fifteen percent were other, which we don't know why. Hmm. So that's just an interesting look at why people don't offer VBAC, but the biggest reason is 42% say it's because of fear of litigation, and that's why it's possible that we could try to have a, uh, either a fund for VBAC fund, or just like we have for vaccines, mm-hmm. or possibly just have uh, states there or federal tort reform would be hmm. really nice. Um, hmm. This guy admits something that I've always said, you've heard me say it a million times on the podcast, Oh, that equal payment for vaginal and cesarean birth is idiotic. He says you should pay more for vaginal birth. It's more work. <laughs> and it is. I love it. It's more work. Yeah. It requires more skill. It requires more time. And it would give an incentive for hospitals to, you know, encourage vaginal delivery. Right? <clears throat> so, because who would pay more though? The insurance? Companies, I mean, yeah, it be, insurance com- it, if insurance companies would need to pay more for vaginal birth than they would for cesarean, and so that would be an incentive for the hospital, or would it? Sure, be, yeah, because the hospital would be gets getting, paid more for a vaginal birth than a cesarean. But then, but but would insurance companies do that? They don't. They, I know well, they, they don't. I know they don't. They should. They should. And ACOG, who has some influence, should be on these insurance companies to tell them, listen. But to me, I mean, I hear you. But to me, all this always boils down to money finances who's you know well always boils down to money it always boils down to money so except I mean, the only thing that doesn't boil down to money is the dr stew's podcast <laughs> this is true yeah because <laughs> because we don't get any money <laughs> we don't do it for money well john does but the rest of us don't do it for money john so, and his dog do yeah. it for money dr stew's podcast doesn't do it for money and john it's really yeah if, i actually yeah, chump change for john oh but that's my all right. god all right i gotta keep going because we're running out of time we're at 38 minutes and john is already chomping at the bit here um breach isn't coming back the guy said so we got to do versions all right that makes wait, me wait, sad wait 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 breach delivery vaginal is, it, is not coming back that's what he said who's right. this guy again he has some good things to I don't, say. I don't, I'm not quoting names on this guy because I don't remember his name. Okay, but he says, so we got to do versions. So he said the key is to prevent the first cesarean. And then he talked about how you can, you know, try to churn babies and get rid of Friedman's curve. Yeah, I and, hear that. Um, I, mean, that I mean, those are good ideas. Longer second stages, rotate the babies. Look, uh, Stu, yeah. there's, there are midwives. I can't remember which indigenous group of midwives, but the, it, some of them say that I, I, it might be Mexican midwives, some group of Mexican midwives who are not, who who they do not have many breech deliveries because they do handle it, a baby that's breech presenting in the pregnancy with their different, in, you know, 
techniques of massaging and moving the babies and all kinds of things. And there, you know, so there Where's is. Where's that? Where's that? I believe that we're talking about a group of Mexican midwives. Oh. I don't know what region of Mexico, but we're talking about ancient knowledge to prevent and uh, um, breach deliveries. And and by the way, they do do breach deliveries. But so, you know, well, there's that's no excuse, not a bad There's, there's not no a excuse for not thought. doing multiple breach deliveries. There's no excuse for that. Primate breach deliveries, there is some increase in morbidity and stuff, and, and and I can understand that. But ultimately, if you want to lower the primary cesarean section rate, then right. you got to figure out what to do with these exactly. people. Exactly. He says try to do versions. Yeah, he says epidurals help with versions. I've not found that to be true myself. Right. But uh, that's what he says. Uh, but I mean, look, the truth of the matter is if you're trying to prevent a breach because of the higher risk associated with breach vaginal delivery with a, with a primate, then why wouldn't something like version be on the table during yeah. during a pregnancy? Well, it should be. And guess what he said? What? Let's see if, I'm, if you've been listening the whole time. Mm. Guess what he said is the greatest risk factor for a cesarean section? Greatest risk factor? For a cesarean section. To have a cesarean se- yeah. section? The greatest risk factor um, Private is... insurance. Nope. Uh, fear of litigation. What? Nope. Are you going to show me your cheat sheet? Yeah. What does it say? I don't have my glasses on. Oh, the hospital you choose. Oh. We've talked about that. Yes, you're yeah. absolutely right. Yeah, you knew that. I was kind of going in that direction. You knew, you knew that. <laughs> you were just, you, your brain was it's like so beyond that already because that was so obvious. Yeah, that's completely obvious. You were thinking obvious. it was a trick question. I was. It wasn't I a was. trick question. <laughs> no. It a trick question. The hospital you choose is the greatest risk factor for cesarean section, okay? Wow. We've talked about this. We talked about this before. You got you to gotta do your research as a family. Don't just pick the local hospital because it's the only only choice you have. And so it goes beyond the provider. If you have to travel, again, it's it's like a wedding, all right? You don't just pick the first caterer. Right. You don't just pick the first dress. You don't just pick the first church. Well, you may, I mean that. Yeah, yeah but, 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 but you're saying it's beyond the provider. At least what he's saying is beyond the provider. It's not just the provider, but the facility that they practice in. Yes. Lord have yes. mercy. You have to look at the rates there. Right. All right? You have to look at the overall rates. Right. And you and you may have to drive. You may have to find another location. Right. You may have to travel. Right. I mean, in in my ra- in rare occasions, in rare occasions, um, we end up with people coming from out of state yeah. who come here because they have given they're given no choices. I mean, just like we're going to be doing in Santa Barbara tonight. Right. We're going to be talking to women who've had no choices up in Santa Barbara, right. despite the overwhelming evidence in support of VBAC and the mm. overwhelming evidence, uh, ethical evidence in support of choice. Mm. This is this is where we end up. Mm. So once again, there's the music. Okay. I love my music. Uh, again, I uh, I'm still uh, in love with my friend Hans Zimmer. Not my friend, but um, <laughs> I wish he was my friend. You anyway, can pretend he's your friend. Uh, yes, and uh, by the way, I did see the new Guardians movie. I thought it was great. Oh God, don't talk to me about that. I don't know anything. You don't. About I know you don't talk about movies. I'm too busy for movies. Okay. Well, but once again, like once it. again, we're welcome. Uh, thank you for listening to Doctor Sue's podcast. Uh, Kimberly and I will be back again with podcast 113. But this has been podcast 112. You can find us on iTunes or at drstuespodcast.com. Again, I do love getting emails and comments from you at askdrstu at gmail.com. I hope you've learned something from these last two podcasts. They, they, um, uh, it was an interesting time going down there and being with my colleagues, surrounded by people from all over the world, actually, yeah. who came to this conference. Uh, they do want better outcomes. They do, they, they, they're just stuck in the, in the mud. Yes. And yes. we need to keep giving them a shove. Good on you for going. All right. Adios, everybody.